Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning. Today is Tuesday, September 1st. Welcome to the Muni Lowdown, the podcast produced by DebtWire Municipals. Today, we've got two interesting stories. We've got New York's Metropolitan Transportation Authority, the MTA. They are are poised to make draconian measures to bridge a pandemic-driven $12 billion budget gap that could throw the agency into bankruptcy without federal intervention, which they uh, commented during an an emergency board meeting last week. And Chuck Stanley will be discussing that story. Then we will talk about the bankrupt Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, which is known as PREPA, and their potential agreement with the U.S. Federal Emergency Management Authority, better known as FEMA, which could make billions of federal dollars available to rebuild the island's ailing power grid. But this agreement is still very much in the air. And our own Puerto Rico reporter, Ava Lorenz, talked to the new executive director of the utility, Efren Paredes, in an interview last week. So she'll be discussing that. All right. Good morning, Chuck Stanley in Washington, D.C. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, yourself? Not too bad, thanks. All right, let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, I know um, you cover transportation, and we've talked about this before, but it's something worth mentioning again. So, and speaking of train, there's a train coming by, but um, talk about transportation. Um, so you're going to be talking about the New York Metropolitan Transportation Authority, also known as the MTA, and they're, they're discussing a doomsday scenario of service cuts and layoffs that Basically, it's looking at if it doesn't get some sort of federal bailout soon. So, Chuck, tell us just how bad are things looking for the MTA? Thanks, Jan. Uh, They're pretty bad. Uh, Last week, uh, we've had months of sort of increasingly dire warnings about this deteriorating financial situation at the MTA. And last week, they gave us a first look at the kind of severe cost-saving measures that could soon be put into place in order to bridge a $12 billion budget gap through 2021 if there isn't some sort of federal federal aid. The scenario presented by the authority CFO last week at an emergency MTA board meeting is one of service cuts so steep that one board member called them a threat to the New York way of life. That would also accompany thousands of layoffs, reassignment of capital funds, and pension obligation contributions. And all of that put together still doesn't close the gap one other board member openly talked about the possibility of bankruptcy if the authority doesn't get help from the federal government. And uh, talking to, talking to, talking about transportation, the train's still going. But anyway, so this sounds like a very it bad situation. False. Yes, <laughs> it's 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 leaving the station. So here we go. So, but this sounds like a very bad situation. Can you tell us a little more about the challenges that the MTA is facing? Sure. I mean, we've been talking about the MTA at DebtWire and on this podcast since New York first issued a stay-at-home order to combat the spread of COVID-19, and ridership after that order really just cratered. Since then, the news has been mostly bad. Subway, bus, and commuter rail ridership are all down by 75% or more from normal levels, and revenues from tolls and tax subsidies are down as well. That all adds up to a projected 40% drop in revenues for the agencies for the foreseeable future. Now, the MTA received $4 billion in federal aid through the CARES Act, which was passed in March, but officials for the MTA have been pleading with the federal government for additional aid since then. And by last month, the authority had already run through all of that federal CARES Act money. 
Uh, and since talks broke down between congressional de- Democrats and the Trump administration over additional aid legislation for COVID-19, at this point, it's looking increasingly likely that there may not be any new federal help for the MPA until at least after the November elections. Yeah, uh, that's the way it seems to be looking. Um, so this uh, this obviously sounds like a very bleak situation. Yeah, the MTA right now is basically flipping over all the couch cushions to scratch for every last penny they can find. <laughs> and that means capital funds could be reassigned temporarily toward operating expenses. Essential capital projects could be temporarily delayed. Long-term employee benefit contributions could be redirected to pay current benefit expenditures. And service cuts could go into effect. That would really, really change the nature of how New Yorkers and commuters use transit. Uh, and even with those proposed changes, Changes, uh, those add up to about $6 billion in projected savings through 2021. So that's around half of the total deficit that the authority is looking at. One figure that I think helps illustrate the immense fixed costs that uh, the MTA has to bear is that the proposed cut to bus and subway service by 40% and commuter rail by 50% would only amount to around a billion dollars in savings through 2021. That's just a fraction of the $12 billion in lost revenue the authority is looking at during that period. There are a couple of additional measures that are on the table, uh, including fare and toll hikes, but the bottom line is that even after cutting to the bone, the MTA has a lot of costs that it doesn't appear to know how it's going to pay. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bleak, like you said. Now, I and I, let me just clarify, if you haven't mentioned, the fiscal year ends, I believe, at the end of this calendar year, correct? For the MTA? Yes, yes. Their fiscal year follows the calendar year. All right. So I got one last question for you, Chuck. Let's look at the, from an investor's point of view, how have they reacted to, like if you're a bondholder, what are, what's your reaction to MTA struggles right now? Right. This is something that we've been asking about since the coronavirus hit New York and even before that, because some of the MTA's troubles really predate this, uh, this pandemic. Um, and throughout that time, the thing that we've heard over and over again is that the MTA is really just too big to fail. It's too important to the economy of New York City. Uh, it's too important to the region. And its operations are too capital intensive to allow it to fall into a restructuring situation where it could lose ready access to credit. So something is going to be work, worked out to where it gets the help it needs or is forced to make the changes that, that it has to. But given the gridlock we're seeing in Congress, it doesn't look like the MTA can expect any more federal help in the foreseeable future. And it's an open question as to how much flexibility New York City and New York State would have to help the system, given their own financial troubles related to COVID-19. So investor confidence did appear to waver a little bit in late August when the authority tapped the lending facility provided by the Federal Reserve for $450 million in notes. And it turned to that that lending facility because the bids it received on the market weren't to its liking. So investors we spoke to about this noted that the MTA did receive 20 bids for these short-term notes at auction. So it's not as if there's no demand, but it does seem like investors are pricing in more risk for the MTA, at least regard with, uh, at least with regard to short-term debt. Uh, absolutely. That's very, that's very fascinating. Um, and I know it sounds like a cliche, especially uh, given the situation, but too big to fail for the MTA because it's a whole domino effect that it affects the city of New York, it affects the state, and in a way it affects the whole region because you've got people like me who live in New Jersey. When they come into New York, we take the subway, you know, or 
people from Connecticut. So you got a whole region hugely impacted by um, what's going on, but we'll see. But Chuck, I appreciate your time today. Uh, stay safe out there and we'll talk to you again. Thanks a lot for having me on you. All right, bye. All right, let's move on to San Juan, Puerto Rico. Eva Lorenz, how are you down there? Fine, how are you? Good. Uh, we're, we're having some rainy weather, but other than that, fine. Well, as always, just, you know, make sure you take care of yourself and your family down there. I know last time we spoke, I I lost power. I was sitting in a parking lot near a library to get Wi-Fi, but I, may, I you know, I survived. So <laughs> here I am. <laughs> something, something you can relate to, obviously. So. Yes, I know. I know. Uh, all right. So I know um, we're going to talk about, um, it's redundant, but you talk about, you focus on Puerto Rico, and we're going to talk about specifically PREPA, the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority. And I know you spoke with the new executive director. Is it pronounced Efron Paredes? Paredes, yes. Okay. Efron Paredes, yes. Right. Now, in regard to that, you have um, covered that there have been some delays in the renewal of PREPA's infrastructure. So tell us what's the latest and what's going on there. Well, first of all, this agreement between uh, PREPA and the Federal Emergency Management Agency has been, um, been negotiated, been, has been negotiated for like the past three years since the hurricane, in which uh, FEMA is going to agree to give uh, PREPA a specific amount of money so we can um, pretty much reconstruct the entire energy grid. But uh, these, uh, it, it has to go so, through some processes. Now, uh, former PREPA head Jose Ortiz had told us that he expected that agreement to be announced uh, in August specifically. However, when we talked to the new uh, PREPA director, Efrem Paredes, he pretty much said that the agreement uh, was going to be delayed and um, and he said that um, it has to go first, that while it was approved by FEMA already, it has now to go to uh, FEMA's Washington offices where, where it will be evaluated by a third party, a third independent party to make sure everything is okay and the numbers are correct. Afterwards, it has to go back to FEMA and then it will have to go to Congress. So he predicted that this agreement uh, will pretty much take place. Uh, it will be announced, he said, by the end of the year, but he truly was not sure. So we're still stuck with um, a, an agreement that is very much expected because it, it will pretty much renew our energy system uh, three years after Hurricane Maria and, and destroyed the energy grid. And we don't know yet um, what is going to happen uh, with this agreement. Now, all of this comes uh, at the same time, the Energy Bureau uh, approved uh, uh, the PREPAS Integrated Resource Plan, which is uh, the PREPAS blueprint for the U.S. Commonwealth energy needs over the next 20 years. Uh, now, this uh, uh, IRP focuses, will focus, uh, according to the way the Bureau approved it, will focus on moving Puerto Rico to the use of renewals and rejected uh, preliminary activities for the future development of liquefied natural gas terminals. Uh, 
new energy policies approved by Puerto Rico state that we have to draw all of our energy from renewables entirely by uh, 2050. So, so it pretty much rejected these uh, liquid, uh, liquefied natural gas projects, which uh, PREPA has said that they were slated to bring energy rates down because uh, natural gas is cheaper than regular fuel. And at the same time, the Financial Oversight and Management Board rejected some uh, 16 uh, renewable power purchase agreements that PREPA had renegotiated to make them cheaper so that they would not, so that they would uh, not cost so much to the regular consumers and which would have moved Puerto Rico closer to renewable goals. So we're pretty much having all of these activities and, and going on with PREPA and we don't know uh, what is going to happen uh, with uh, the policy of moving PREPA towards the use of renewables. So in speaking of renewable, and let's go back to the uh, FOMB, the Financial Oversight and Management Board. They're, they yes. rejected, they're rejecting PREPA's renegotiated renewable projects. Why are they doing that? So um, the FOMB concluded that the uh, 16 renewable purchase power agreements were inconsistent with the uh, 2020 fiscal plan for PREPA, which pretty much pertains with it or calls for the overall reduction of retail energy prices. And the FOMB mentioned it that um, they would result, this, this 16 renewable energy agreements will result in overall retail energy rates that would be higher than the energy rates projected in its certified uh, fiscal plan. Uh, so they, they pretty much said that a PREPA has to find a way to further reduce the the electricity rates under these uh, proposals because they, they he said they, they the FOMB said that they will be increasing energy rates to uh, uh, 14 cents or something like that and they want to get the energy rates down to about nine cents uh, so I don't know how they're gonna do that looks to me like it's going to be very difficult, but but that's what the FOMB has said. I see. Interesting. So mm -hmm. let's 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 focus on Prepa. I've got just one last question. You've been covering how Prepa is, is currently undergoing a restructuring. Is there anything new with that? Yes. Um, as you know, Prepa has been since 2017 under bankruptcy as part of the federal law Promesa. It has to restructure $9 billion in debt. However, after the Financial Oversight and Management Board announced a restructuring support agreement, that agreement has been delayed at least 11 times. So right now, the agreement uh, needs the approval of the legislature, but the legislature is no longer in session because we have an election in November. And um, second of all, the legislature is opposed to this agreement uh, because they don't, they believe um, it will bring, probably bring energy rates up. And um, as a result of that, the Unsecured Creditors Committee, which is one of the official committees in the bankruptcy, has said the RSA needs to be canceled. Uh, 
Now, that motion, that request is moving forward. And as a matter of fact, uh, if a judge, um, Magistrate Judge uh, Judith Dane is going to be handling the discovery and some of the uh, processes related to this petition. Uh, so uh, we're going to see uh, that what is this is going to be moving forward. So we have to see what is going to happen. Uh, experts I have consulted here, observers of the court, do not believe that the court will end up approving that petition. And instead, PREPA will continue to uh, try to renegotiate or find better terms to the RSA. Because the truth of the matter is that if, uh, the, the FOMB and former uh, Executive Director Jose Ortiz have already said the this RSA might need to be renegotiated because of the impact that the coronavirus has had on the revenues of PREPA. So pretty much everything is still in the air with PREPA. All right, then. Well, obviously, you'll let us know what's going on with the latest down there. But, Ava, thank you for your continued work, and we'll talk to you again. Stay safe out there. Thank you very much. And that is our show for today. Many thanks to Ava Lorenz, Chuck Stanley, and our producer, Christian Ayala. But as always, thanks to our listeners out there who tune in week after week for the latest on distressed mini debt. Hopefully, you will catch us next week on the mini lowdown. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mini Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.